RPC Sermons Podcast. Today's episode is a special episode from our Facebook Live series entitled Closing the Distance. These are unscripted conversations with the pastors of RPC and various special guests reflecting on topics from our ongoing sermon series. If you're interested in learning more about this community of faith, visit roswellprez.org. Good morning and welcome to Closing the Distance. I'm Reverend Jeff Myers, one of the pastors here at Roswell Presbyterian Church, and I'm here with Karen Wright-Marsh. Karen, thanks for being with us today. Jeff, there's nobody I'd rather talk to than you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> You're very sweet. You're very sweet. Now, so you got, you. I mean, you've got a book, Vintage Saints and Sinners. You've got a new book coming out. And I've got to be honest with you. I read Vintage Saints and Sinners, 25 Christians Who Transform My Faith. And it really blew me away. I, I mean, it was so, I mean, the stories are great, but the way it's written are beautiful. And you know, I've been a fan of your husband's writing, Charles, for many years. And I've always like thought he was the great writer. Then hmm. I was talking to some people that are also fans of y'all's work. And we said, I wonder if Karen's the one who's been editing <laughs> Charles's work all these years. Oh, the secret is out. <laughs> no, no, that our marriage could not handle that. I, <laughs> I, I keep him at his own desk and I have mine. So it's well, better that way. I mean, that house uh, <laughs> houses two beautiful, amazing writers. Okay. How did you come to be a person of faith? Well, I am a Presbyterian preacher's daughter. Uh, my dad was the pastor at North Avenue Presbyterian Church there in Atlanta. And um, so I grew up in the faith, um, grew up in church. I always felt very at home in church, literally. Um, and then two church ladies in Atlanta got involved. Um, their names were Menda Hall and Vima Ball, if you can believe it. And one was at North Avenue and one was at Second Ponce Leon Baptist. And they thought it would be adorable for the preacher's daughter to meet the preacher's son from Second Ponce de Leon. And so after much resistance, we were introduced and got married. So we had a double preacher kid marriage. Uh, and I just, yeah. And he's a theologian. Bless your heart. Yeah, bless, bless my little heart. Yeah, so at the wedding, they're like, we did it. Um, but so church is just, a faith has just always been really a part of who I am, you know, and how I grew up. And and it's been both, uh, you know, a, a way to be at home and just like kids at home, you know, you resist and sort of reformulate and find your own way. Um so yeah, Christian, Christian, the Christian story is, um, it is my story. It's just yep. part of who I've been and who I am. Well, and I heard you, I mean, having been on staff at North Avenue Presbyterian Church for almost 11 years, yeah. um, mm -hmm. I've heard plenty of Karen Wright uh, stories of you were like the queen of the youth group. Oh, yes. I was really 
an icon of good Christian girl, the high school girl <laughs> was the leader. What happened? What happened? I know. My mother asked the same thing when I was about 25. So yeah, I know. But yeah. I love that girl that I was. She was, <laughs> she was very intense. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, okay. So how did you come to work with college students at UVA? Yeah, great question. Well, Charles and I, you know, two preacher's kids went off um, into the world and uh, did graduate work. He studied at Harvard and then at UVA did his PhD. And so, you know, more and more we were in this world of the elite kind of university. Right. And um, there was this tension that sort of came out between the the people we knew and loved at church who loved us back home um, who would say, like, why would you go to Harvard? You know, you're just going to become a secular humanist or whatever. Um, and the people at Harvard who were um, kind of bring, don't bring your Jesus into that, um, this discussion of theology, which, um, you know, I don't want to be unfair, but that's that's kind of how some of those things went. Right. Um, where academic theology uh, and lived sort of homegrown Christian Sunday morning faith just were not very did not play well together. And but for us, those were two worlds that we lived in and wanted to reconcile. So. Um, we started Theological Horizons together, Charles and I, um, as uh, a nonprofit ministry. We were actually incorporated in Georgia with some friends from Atlanta. And, you know, our thinking was, look, um, people like us are coming up in the university uh, to get our advanced degrees. Um, we're going to be the professors of your kids. Um, and how beautiful would it be to encourage faithful Christian scholars doing um, mainstream theology, mainstream academics, um, encourage them, support them financially, and just with your love and prayers, and see their scholarship as discipleship. So that was the beginning of it. And then, you know, as the years have gone by, and we moved back to uh, the University of Virginia in 2000, uh, and located ourselves at the Bonhoeffer House, we've become more and more of a, um, have, a have, have had a wider ministry with undergrads because they come to the house, they have lunch with us, Charles is te- teaches them, I, you know, mentor them. Um, and so there's been just a lot of development back and forth, not only with higher level scholars and grad students, but with undergrads and faculty members, community members, staff. Um, so our hope, hope is that Theological Horizons is not only a campus ministry for students, but really a university presence mm-hmm. um, within and beyond um, the walls of of UVA. Wow. And yeah. so, you, so you've been there since 2000? Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Well, and we, we, we center the university, we center the, the ministry here, Theological Horizons, like I said, at the Bonifer House. And we live here. I mean, we, we raised our kids here. So um, it's kind of an unusual model. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's very embodied. <laughs> but yeah. you know, you think Christian faith is, is um, a faith of, the incarnation, you know, what does it look like to bring people into your life, into your home, feed them lunch, you know, mm-hmm. this idea of a welcoming table that Fannie Lou Hamer talks about, um, where religion and spirituality is uh, another way of being at home, you know? Yeah, that's, so, so what are like, I imagine there are, <laughs> in ministry, in life in general, okay, <laughs> but, yep. mm-hmm. but in your life, in this ministry, what are some of like the things that you just love and you just like, oh man, you, you know, you're touching the, you, you know, you're in heaven, but yes. then there are the low points that, that are really struggle. What are some of those 
dichotomies, the highs and lows of your ministry? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll start with the lows. Um, you know, running a nonprofit ministry where a 501c3, we're independent, we're not part of a national. So I'm the executive director. So for all these years, you know, in the beginning, I did everything. I filed the taxes. Uh, it, it was just terrifying to think about. But, yeah. you know, sustaining this little work as it's grown has been really uh, not only a growing experience, but, you know, it can be demanding, you know, to raise our budget and file those papers and manage staff and be a nonprofit that's responsible to our donors and to our board. Yeah. So, you know, it can be it can be hard because I'd rather be hanging out with uh, 20 year olds, you know, hearing about their their dramas. And uh, and and so it, it's just it's just a work of, I think, long obedience, you know, mm -hmm. but and um, kind of sustaining for um, for the good of all just what it means to be a, a an organization of integrity. So Theological Horizons is a work, you know, it is work, but the highs, there are so many. My favorite, favorite thing is the making the connections, you know, the relationships between people. So I get to spend a lot of time with undergrads and grad students. Um, in, in a couple of hours, um, I'll be um, hosting this vintage lunch that we have. So I'll see a whole crowd of them and feed them mellow mushroom pizza today. Um, <laughs> and just to get to know them and hear their stories. Um, yeah, I just had an hour long conversation with a guy yesterday um, who is from his family's from India and his father works with international justice mi missions. And now he's majoring in global commerce. I'm like, wow, like this, I know this guy is going to be an amazing, um, witness to Christ yeah. in the world because he wants to do global work and missions. So to see them when they're young and say, wow, like I can see you and all of your brilliance and all of your idealism and hope and angst and yeah. you're still kind of clueless but i know it's going to be amazing <laughs> and then sort of to know that i know okay with with this this guy silas for example i can think okay i know this professor who does this work in um you know or a connection in um i don't know uganda like you should really talk to this guy so to introduce people from adults from my world um to these undergrads is really fun and i love getting to know over these years, university staff and faculty administrators, you know, I know President Ryan now and his assistant, and these are people who, you know, they're humans, they're leaders, they're so kind, they really work hard, um, and to sort of see them and know them and collaborate with them and invite them in to tell their stories mm -hmm. of, of meaning and purpose, right? And where is God in their work and their lives, um, whether it's a, a researcher in psychology coming to talk about her work studying kids and how children learn forgiveness, you know, what is the ethical framework of children. So, you know, it, to me, it's just this huge playground of, yeah. in, of intellectual curiosity and work, but also humans who love and want to talk about things that matter um, and a life that has meaning. It's really fun. So, yeah. Connections and relationships for me, that's everything. Yeah. Well, it, it, I mean, you've blessed so many people. I mean, you know, my wife's best friend went to UVA. Lee, I mean, yes. I, I, I credits you to kind of saving her life, I think, in some ways, you know, being, you know, you talk about that angst of, you know, in your early 20s, trying to figure out what it's all about. And so what an yeah. exciting ministry to be a part of. So, okay. So one of the stereotypes is that like college students or college age people could care less about religion anymore. Yeah, yeah, that is such. Do you such, find that to be yeah. true? 
Well, I, I mean, yes and no. So uh, I'll say mostly no. Um, I think that college students, especially now, um, are not about the religion of dogma. They complain a lot about hypocrisy and they have plenty of stories to point to, you know, of the, 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 the public figure who let them down of, of, you know, the history of Christendom and the Crusades. I mean, you can go on and on and on, but, you know, when you get down to it and it really, you don't have to scratch much of the surface. They want to talk about spirituality. They want to talk about purpose. Um, they're very curious. They also integrate, I think, a lot of spiritual sources and traditions. So I think if, like for me, I will I'll always want to hear more. Like, tell me more about, um, you know, where is, what is spirit? And I, I, I'm very careful with my language too. You know, like, where do you see the spirit or the light? Or, you know, it's sort of to invite them in and know that, you know, I'm listening. Um, uh -huh. There was a great article recently in the Atlantic called American Religion is Not Dead Yet. Uh, and I really commend it to you. Um, and it, it talks about this 2021 report on the future of uh, religion in America, stating that 30% of congregations are not likely to survive for the next 20 years. So three out of 10 churches, congregations will basically be gone. But the article points to all this interest in spiritual things, in religion, um, whether mm -hmm. it's in a chaplaincy or a support group or out in the woods. And that's what I'm seeing. You know, students, they are angsty. Like we said, this is well-established. You know, mental health um, struggles are real. Um, perfection, appearances, intellectual demands, fear about, you know, how they're going to make a living, how they're going to pay their debts, worries about racism, um, the world, the climate. You know, they are really struggling and they want to have, they want answers. And they may not go to, think oh, on a Sunday morning, I'm going to go to church because that's where the answer is going to be. Um, but they will come to um, an invitation to a dialogue that Theological Horizons offers on healing or on grief. Um, when we had this tragic, tragic shooting back in November of those three beautiful young men, um, St. Paul's Memorial Church was crowded that night for a prayer service. You know, everybody was like, where do we go? And this terrible thing has happened. Um, and I was there with some other campus ministers and I was invited to the memorial service at the arena to be a clergy on call. So all of a sudden, you know, in these tragedies, they're calling on the clergy to show up and be present. Um, Vanessa Oaks, who's a rabbi and she's a, on the, the religion faculty, we brought her in for lunch two days after that, wow. just to sit with students, faculty members. Yeah. And just, and not give answers, but to practice silence and prayer and community together. So I, I just think religion and spirituality, it's its so needed and it's so everywhere, yeah. but I, it does take a certain um, uh, willingness to, to be in the conversation, a, a little bit of wit and creativity and reframing. Oh, yes. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's what and we do. Yeah, and, I, I, and people act, well, there, there's, uh, People get so negative. I'm like, the, the gospel has always been needed to be translated. Yeah, absolutely. You know, right. you, know it's, you know, whether you're Thomas Aquinas or, you know, you're St. Paul, right? You know, you're, you're trying to figure, look what you got. And you're like, what, okay, how do I translate it in, translate the message so it can be understood and passed along? That is so right. That is so true. 
And if you know the conversation, right. If you're in the conversation with what are the intellectual trends, what are, you know, what is the way it's, you know, everybody is grieving and lamenting how the university is just this hotbed of, you know, filling all kinds of different conversations. But, you know, if you're in the conversation with generosity and humanity, I think, I mean, that's where we're called to be, right? And translate the gospel and be yep. present and be witnesses and be willing to be uncomfortable, honestly, because it can be very tricky. Yeah, absolutely. Well, okay. So <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about your first book. Sure. Uh, and I went to go find my copy. And this is classic. Like the problem about like reading great books and like is then, and then I want to share them with people, but they're so great that no one wants to give the book back. Oh, yes. Yes. So. Anyway, okay. I hear you. I know you. I'll send you another copy. I've got one, right? <laughs> I'll send you one. I, you know, because I got the galleys because I, I think I reviewed it for Presbyterian Outlook or something. Yes. And, um, and, 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 then, and then I was like, well, I need my own like real copy. So I, so I bought a couple and I've, you know, passed it out. But okay, so it's called Vintage Saints and Sinners, 25 Christians Who Transform My Faith. Yes. And I think one of the things I love about it is it tells stories of kind of towering figures, but folks that the, the general public probably doesn't know that much about, okay? And as you wrote that book, what were some of the things you, like, that you were surprised to learn? I mean, because you're a person that grew up in the church, like, yeah. you swim in these waters, okay? So what were things you were surprised to discover? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, lots of surprises. And honestly, um, this goes back to my experiences with undergrads every day because um, about 18 years ago, um, I started a, this group. Um, I had a student from Atlanta actually who came to me and she said she wanted a small group and she thought it would look like a Bible study, but she really wasn't into church and her, her friends weren't Christians. But I mean, Bible study was the only thing she could think of to ask for um, because yeah, that's what Christians right. have is Bible studies. But I thought, well, let's do something different. And I started um, bringing these readings from the Christian tradition. Um, and so it's evolved into this weekly practice and weekly format. And I do this every, every week. And this is what I'll do later, a few hours from now, where instead of having a Bible study or a theology lesson, I will tell a story because anybody and literally students come in off the street. Um, because there's a sign that says free lunch and that will bring them in every time <laughs> and it'll be okay I'm going to tell today I'm going to tell you a story of a person from the Christian tradition and it might be um, an activist a contemplative an intellectual a creative an artist it's like there are all these stories of all these people who follow Jesus in all these ways so you know for me what I'm thinking is to these young people whoever you are whatever your style is, however you meet God, whether it's in the woods or on in the protest, um, there's a Christian here for you. You know, um, yep. one of my own kids even said one to me one time, like, oh, I think I'm going to be a Buddhist because I want to meditate. And I was like, excuse me, before <laughs> you leave the faith, like there's this guy, Brother Lawrence, right? Yeah. Who was contemplative. And I love, so I, writing this book was really just coming out of these weekly basically narratives of pitching the Christian life to undergrads. So the, I, I am well-trained in telling a story 
mm-hmm. because I have to do it in seven minutes in front of 20 year olds who um, have yeah. many other things on their mind. And then we read their words. So I think what, what surprised me was just are just, again, the variety. And I'm always struck by how, how interesting it is to look at these saints and their lives when they were 18, 19, 20. So mm-hmm. for example, Patrick of Ireland, we just had St. Patrick's Day. So it was perfect. This is yeah. my big moment to talk about Patrick. So Patrick was a, a preacher's kid, basically Christian family, but really not into his faith. He's, he's captured, he's enslaved on, in Ireland and you know, out on the, in the wilderness with the sheep, he, he meets God, you know, he mm-hmm. comes to this incredibly transformative faith and, you know, makes his way back to, to Britain and goes back to Ireland to witness and, and um, love these people who enslaved him. I think about Augustine, who would never have stepped in the doors of you think, of course, um, Augustine, uh, you know, the great, great saint when he was such a bad boy, you know, C.S. Lewis <laughs> declaring that Christianity is for idiots uh, until he becomes the most reluctant convert. Um, I love, love, love the story of Sophie Scholl and her brother Hans, who are at the University of Munich yep. and were convinced that Hitler, you know, was evil and nobody else believed it but them. And they all they had was paint and they would write these anti-Nazi slogans on walls at night and they printed little pamphlets against Hitler. It was like sort of early social media. <laughs> um, but they had so much courage and they died, you know, they were executed for it. So I tell these stories because I want people to know that these people that we call saints, of course, were sinners and they had these all these different paths. Some of them were convic- you know, convicted and loved Jesus from the age of two, like Therese of Lisieux, who said she denied God nothing, you know, as a Uh three-year-old. Yeah, to to Isabella and William Gibbons. I think this is an amazing story of two people who were um, enslaved at the University of Virginia. So to tell a UVA student, like, you need to know about William Gibbons. Like, he was enslaved where you walk every day. Like, he walked this lawn, and he was enslaved by a professor. And even then he was preaching the gospel to hit to the people in the black community. And when he was freed, he became the first path pastor at First Baptist Main Street. And you can go to church there. Like this was his <laughs> church. So I, I don't know. I could talk all day about these stories. But to me, the book was just an expression of, wow, like you should know these people. Yes. They're they're it's crazy and amazing. And there's somebody like you in here somewhere. I, yeah, I love and the the diversity of folks you cover. I'll tell you the chapter that blew me away was the one on A.W. Tozer. Uh, and and here's the thing. Here's the thing, Karen, is like you did not pull your punches. Like there's a way to like hey hagiographically like tell somebody's story where and you're like, there are some flaws with this guy. And yeah. I remember, like, I grew up evangelical, you know, my parents had A.W. Tozer on, you know, the bedside table, you know, how kind of severe and strict the Christian life should be. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that that was a really, that was a surprise. That what actually was the big surprise for me because my grandmother loved Tozer. I read Tozer in college. Even now, certain students and certain evangelical fellowships love him. 
And so I was like, oh yeah, I'll write about Tozer, my, my grandmother's favorite. That'll be fun. And then I read his biography and I, I said to Charles, like, I don't think I can include him. Like, this is just, I don't like him. I just, and I, if I don't like him, I, I don't have to put him in my book. And of course, Charles is like, well, actually this is getting more interesting now. <laughs> and it's like, it's not like he had these terrible scandals that you hear about with, a, you know, molesting, molesting kids or whatever. Like he was just a terrible dad and a really neglectful husband and his kids like grew up hating pot macaroni and cheese because that's all they ever ate. And his wife didn't have a car and he gave all his money away, you know, and he didn't, he gave away his retirement fund. And, but I just thought, okay, you know, I do need to tell this story because what do we do with this great towering figure who just really let down the people who loved him the most? And yes. And that's just, that's just true. And that's just so human. And I, I know pastors everywhere, Christian leaders everywhere read that and go, yeah, that's a temptation, right? Yeah. Your church needs you. Your people need you. Your ministry needs you. Yeah. And, but you yeah. sacrifice the people that are closest to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was actually, yeah. I was surprised that the editors weren't like, ah, oh, Karen, let's, uh, let's not, let's, let's not take down AW. Yeah. Yeah. Well, AW went down. Well, and I don't, I don't know. I think I also was struck by his background, you know, the poverty that he grew up in his father, you know, his mother died. There was a fire. His father was severely depressed you know, he had to carry the family. He, you know, he had a lot to prove. So there was a lot of injury, you know, trauma is a word we hear a lot. So, you know, I think in the end there's room there, but I tried no. to be a little gentle, but yeah, that was hard. No, I, 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 cause it's so human. Right. And like, yeah. sometimes you read these stories and you're like, well, golly, this guy never cursed. Well, <laughs> You know, like, I'm out. <laughs> you know, like I don't identify, and I just thought, like, I just love that. Okay, so yeah. you have another book coming out soon. Uh, I think yes. in July, right? What's exactly. it? So it's called "Wake Up to Wonder: Twenty Two Invitations to Amazement in the Everyday." So I'm promising a lot in this book, mm -hmm. um, but I'm really I love loved reading it, and it's it's called "Wake Up to Wonder," like I said, and the twenty two invitations are the 20 are 22 practices. So, you know, we've been talking about spiritual practices, mm -hmm. that old word discipline. That was a word I grew up with, you know, we, Richard Foster, faster, fasting, prayer, you know, early morning, quiet times, pre-dawn regimens. <laughs> um, this book is, it has some of that, but really what I am loving is finding all these different ways to experience God. Mm -hmm. And my hope with this book that is that Christians will read it, but also people who um, like, like students I know who say, yeah, I'm spiritual, but not religious. Like that is a real category or, um, yeah, I have a faith. I don't have a faith practice, but I'm just trying to get through my day. Like, how do I deal with my anxiety? So some of the practices, which are all based in stories as usual, because that's, that's what I do is Thomas Merton his a little biography about him and then practices of breathing. Like he talks about praying and breathing, um, Martin Luther, who we all know as you know, big and scary reformer, very, you know, dogmatic, uh, loved music and to sing. So the invitation there is singing and music. Um, Fannie Lou Hamer, you know, to raise your voice, to speak out as a practice, a spiritual embodied practice. Howard Thurman, again, great, great um, thinker and influencer, um, talked about pausing. Dorothy Day, you know, amazing 
radical social justice, merciful person had a little shack on the beach. And so she would get away to go to the beach. So it's like, I'm trying to, again, find the angles on these people where they had these practices that are invitations for us that will sustain us in a day that we can try out, we can pick them up, we can put them down. Um, and we don't necessarily have to commit to a lifetime of 5 a.m. prayer, which is awesome for some people. I have yeah. never been able to do that one. So I'm like with Hildegard funding and talking about nutrition, like how am I going to, you know, what is the smoothie that I need today? So <laughs> that's what the book is. And I really, it's on pre-order. There's a 40% discount if anybody wants that free shipping. Um, and I'm just really excited about where this book will go in terms of broadening people's idea of what it means to live a, a spiritual life that's generative, that's full of delight and pleasure, amazement, awareness, because God is so, so great. And the world is an amazing place and people are present, you know, to ask a good question. That is a spiritual practice to really listen. That is a spiritual practice. I love it. And yeah, and I just, in our world, there's just so many people that are spiritually asleep. Yeah, and I love that idea of awake. Well, you know, I'm deeply influenced by Walker Percy, and, oh. and who is influenced by Soren Kierkegaard, and you know, this idea that that like the, the singular characteristic of despair is not recognizing itself as despair. Yes, absolutely. And yeah. and to awaken, to realize you're in despair, is the first step to not be despairing. Yeah. And I love that you are inviting us in through these figures' life and their stories to awaken. Mm -hmm. I think it's powerful stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I look Thank forward you. to uh, uh, reading it. I hope people will uh, check it out. And and until July, they can read uh, Vintage, uh, Sinners and Saints. Before. Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. All right. Uh, I'm looking at our time. We're kind of coming to the end. Well, sure. okay. So what advice do you have for churches? You know, mm -hmm. we've been you know, during Lent, we've been talking about um, the spiritual practices. We talk about meditation, prayer, fasting, um, simplicity and service, all these things. How can churches, do you think, from your vantage point, help build up people in their Christian faith? Yeah, well, that's such a great question. And I do look at it from my point of view is, you know, because I get these conversations with with church people like, how do we get the kids to come back? Yeah. And I mean, that's a real question. Um, I think, uh, but I, I just want to encourage churches, like you are such a unique place. You offer so much. You think about, you have in one space on a Sunday morning, you have intergeneration, you have kids, you have old ladies, you have cell phones going off in church. Like that would never happen with 20s, 20 somethings only. It's hilarious. You know, you have choirs, you have people living life together. And I think we all want that. Mm -hmm. um, for me now, uh, more and more um, to go to, to to sit in a worship service and put my phone literally on do not disturb and leave it in my purse for a whole hour. That is a spiritual discipline right there. Yeah. Um, and to preach, like to hear a sermon where the gospel is preached thoughtfully, intentionally, really where else, where else do you get that? I mean, listening to a podcast is great when you're out walking but, you know, to be in the physical presence of others, mm. for worship and gospel and community and church suppers and like the macaroni and cheese again, you know, <laughs> it is just like, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And it, it, and these churches, churches should be, and they should thrive. I think, you know, we all want to see real embodied faith 
and the what where I see at least young people engaging is when they when they have that relational connection. Um, Theological Horizons uh, we organize uh, fellows programs, so we, it's an intentional mentoring match program. So we have mentoring. Um, these are intentional friendships, talking about um, vocation and discernment with adults. We have a lot of service opportunities. Our Perkins Fellows serve in the community. You know, I think wherever churches can be, can go out, can come back, can relate, yeah. um, and invite. You know, this this idea of invitation um, is really powerful for me. And for us at Theological Horizons, we talk about a lot about the intersection of faith, thought, and life. You know, what do you believe? What are you thinking about? What are you learning? And like, where do you live? What do you do? What does your vocation say to you? And I think that's what churches can do really well is, you know, to keep that awareness of this is, these are intersections that are very real for people. And I mean, if I were in Atlanta, I would come to your church for sure, Jeff. I would <laughs> make a beeline for Roswell. So um, yeah, I just want to encourage you that you have a, 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 a beautiful gift and community to offer and, you know, to own that and celebrate that and just delight in it. Awesome. Well, Karen, thank you so much. I, you're such a blessing to so many. It's so fun to catch up. Thanks, Jeff. I'm so excited to read the new book that's coming out. So I encourage people to check that out. Uh, thank you for closing the distance. And uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Awesome. See you soon. Blessings. Thanks, Jeff.